Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host Lou Weiss, who is president of All Metals and Forge Group, a company that manufactures open die forgings and seamless rolled rings for the industrial segment of our economy. And joining us today is Harry Moser, who is founder and president of the Reshoring Initiative, someone that we have talked to for, for years about reshoring, and it's happening now, I think, in with greater gusto. Harry, we're really excited to have you on the show to hear what's happening with reshoring. Thanks for joining us. Tim and Lou, it's great to be back. Well, I appreciate you coming back. And uh, <clears throat> Harry, we, we met at a couple of trade shows and when you've been on the show and you've talked a lot with us. And, and I've always impressed with your, your mission and your, uh, your, energy to go forward to the degree that you have. And I, I've really never done this before. So I'm, I'm going to take an editorial uh, uh, privilege and I'm going to just read off some of your bio. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm going to, whatever, whatever you feel. Harry was inducted into the Industry Week Manufacturing Hall of Fame in 2010, named Quality Magazine's 2012 Quality Professional of the Year, Fab Tech uh, Shop Magazine featuring Person of the Year. Harry participated with uh, President Obama uh, in sourcing form at the White House in 2012. Uh, received the Manufacturing Leadership Council and Industry Advocacy Award in 14, Made in America 2019, and I could, and I only read half the page. Harry, <laughs> how do you, I thought I'm a busy guy. That's uh -huh. insane. Give us a little bit of, back, of your background so we can then get to talk about reshoring. Okay, well, uh, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which is right, right. right right across the river from, uh, from New York City. And the, the, the biggest thing in town was Singer Sewing Machine. And my grandfather was a foreman there. My dad ran about a third of the factory. And the factory was the biggest industrial plant in the world about 120 years ago. 5,000 people, two and a half million square feet. Huge, huge for its day. And, and I went past there 20 years ago and nothing is there. Nothing of singers made there. Everything's imported. And I, I cried then for what the city, the state, the country had lost. And I thought about well, my career. And I, I sold machine tools, CNC machine tools and, and foundry equipment diff different times. And, and company after company, industry after industry that I wanted to sell something to, they disappeared. They got wiped out by imports. And so I said, wow, somebody's got to do something about it. So that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, uh, bringing back a million jobs and uh, all of the other accolades that you've gotten. So why don't you tell us about the, you know, you started to get into, this is why you're doing what you're doing. Now, where did it start? How did it start? Uh, you and I know each other. I, I'm in the media world now, only about eight years and I think you've been in the, what you're doing a lot more than that. Am I correct? I've been doing the reshoring initiative. Um, see, I was president of uh, Charmé, what's now GF Machining Solutions, until uh, about 2010 and retired, and then founded the reshoring initiative. And uh, so I've been doing this for about 11 years. 
Oh, okay. So we're we're all newbies. <laughs> so uh, what got you into that? I mean, we I, I got the sense of what uh, caused you to do what you're doing, but let, let's get into some nitty gritties. What were some of the first initial issues, problems, whatever that you saw that you took off onto this uh, uh, nonprofit mission that you're on? Well, the, the initial problems with the with the mission was just just to organize it, set, set up the business aspects of it, gain gain credibility. Yeah, at first, we, we, we've had so many decades of losing work to, to uh, Japan, Mexico, Taiwan, Korea, China, you know, everybody. No, no, it's never going to come back. Don't even bother. It's a waste of time kind of thing. And I, I'd say, oh, yeah, it's, it's a real stream coming back. They say at best it's a drip or a drop kind of thing, you know, and, and I, I ignored them and I, I kept going. And uh, and then eventually I got, we got some sponsors, you know, some companies with uh, initially AMT that puts on IMTS, the big machine tool show, sure. NTMA. Uh, PMA both came on as sponsors and some of them started to send us checks and I said huh I better incorporate so I can take out a checking account so I can deposit the checks <laughs> <laughs> therefore you're in business I'm in business <laughs> I, I knew there had to be some money somewhere in this yeah but we've got uh, I've got four or five people part-time people that that work for the initiative in addition to myself and, and and they get paid so i i need to bring in some money to keep them getting paid pay pay for travel pay for the internet that kind of stuff you know so how did how did you get involved uh, let's go back to the obama days uh how did you get involved in that that's uh, that's a pretty <laughs> interesting story we uh we've always been the only or the leading organization that deals with reshoring so when, when Obama wanted to deal with reshoring, even though he called it insourcing, uh, they came up with our name and uh, they invited me, call, called me up actually about four days in advance, something before the meeting. You know, can you come down? I said, are you paying? Oh, no. <laughs> How about airfare? No. A hotel? No. Didn't even buy me lunch when I spent the day there. You know, we were entirely on my own on my own penny, but it, but it was delightful. It was, it's an honor to, to meet with the president, to get a picture with him. And, uh, uh, they, and, figure and the, they figure that's the payoff. That's the payoff. From a business perspective, I raised my speaking fees after I had the picture with the president. <laughs> so it was a good investment. Finally. Absolutely. I don't know if you can raise your fees much on the manufacturing talk radio uh, list, but you try it. You might. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> but the uh, but it went. I, I was delighted. A lot of security to get in. Two, two different checkpoints you know to get in to get through to the to to the to the actual event lots of good people you know vice presidents presidents of major companies there so it was a, it was an honor it was an honor to be present well that's that's great that's great i'm sure it was uh i don't know uh what happened to tim he seems to have dropped off uh so we'll carry the story uh forward uh harry Let's talk about restoring initiative. And, and we, we know your feelings about it. 
we know what your thoughts are about the fact that uh, the jobs left this country. Uh, they, some, come, some have come back. We're still down uh, a million jobs. Uh, and we, we still, and you'll talk about that. Uh, so we're down a million jobs. And if we don't do something different than what we're doing right now, uh, in, uh, I think 2025, correct me if I'm wrong, that they expect that we're going to be down 4 million jobs. Um, so why don't you take it over from me because you are the expert and, uh, I appreciate the input. Uh, so, so we, our analysis and most economists would say that, uh, that offshoring, or imports, you know, getting things from offshore instead of making them here, have cost have cost us about five million manufacturing jobs. So you take the or I take the roughly one trillion dollar trade deficit, divide by two hundred thousand dollars output or revenue per manufacturing worker, bam, five million manufacturing jobs. And the the economists do it with statistics and calculus, and they come up with the same number. And so, so, and I, so I'm, I'm convinced it's the right number. So offshoring has cost us that uh, from a, from a pot, and that's measured at current levels of US productivity. Um, from a, a, a reshoring trend, uh, we started in 2010 with about 6,000 jobs announced to come back. And it grew to about 180,000 in the year of 2017, driven by tax and regulatory cuts, fell off 2018 and 19 because of the trade war, business uncertainty, companies didn't know what was going to happen. They said, oh, let's wait to see what happens. And then in 2020, it picked up again to 160,000, driven by uh, COVID realization of the lack of resiliency of the U.S. supply chain. And this look, this year looks like 200 to 220,000 jobs just for the year. So a, a clear uh, all-time record for it's for a combination of reshoring done by U.S. companies, think General Motors, and FDI, foreign direct investment, by foreign companies, think Toyota or Siemens or that kind of company. We do have uh, issues in this country with regards to bringing back the jobs. And some of that has to do with the, uh, the shrinking of our workforce and the retiring of our workforce, the dying of our report, uh, resources. And this is a major problem. So right now we're uh, we both agreed uh, a little while ago about the we're a million short now, and you bring back more jobs, 4 million more by 25, 2025, will be four or 5 million short jobs. There's the birth rate and so on is, uh, has shrunken over the decades. So this is, a, this is not an easy, um, uh, easy task to uh, dwell on. And I, uh, I came up with something a couple of weeks ago, and I don't mean to, you know, dominate uh, the stage, but I came up with something a couple of weeks ago, and I call it the circle of uncertainty. And it's a big yeah. circle. And I got all these hash marks coming out of all the things that we're screwed up with. And 
when you when I started, and it took me about two, three days to come up with all these things, it's about close to 40 of them. <laughs> if you change any one, it could affect two or three others, or positively or negatively. So this is a real problem. We're, we're in a, this dilemma that, uh, you know, and, and another phrase that I recently coined is uh, uh, chaos, between chaos and order, chaos will always win. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I think in the long run, well, two things. First, in the long run, order has certainly worked for mankind. We have a much more ordered society than 3,000, 4,000 years ago. So over the long term, I'd say order wins, although entropy, remember entropy from chemistry or physics, says yeah. that chaos eventually will uh, wipe out order and, and we'll have a uniform distribution of everything and there'll be no way to make anything happen kind of thing but well, that's true and yeah. you know I, and i if you think about it you know in order to in order not funny yeah. not, in order to keep order you have to really do a lot of work yeah and if you don't do the work then the order collapses and chaos takes over as a natural uh phys, phys, physiological event so maybe maybe to play off of that, I I'm half German by ancestry. Yes. And the Germans are very ordered. Okay. So very 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 organized, excellent apprenticeship system. Lots of engineers being trained. Very disciplined in what they do. And the U.S. used to be somewhat that way 50, 60 years ago. But we've become rather chaotic. People, everybody wants to follow their dream. Every, everybody wants to be a famous uh, uh, talk radio host like like Lou Weiss, okay? But everybody doesn't get to do that. Some of them have to have a, just a good job and be a, be a tool maker, a welder, or some precision machinist, you know, something like that. Make a good buck. And so, so I, I think there's a, the U.S. could use some more order. We could use have our society be better organized in terms of uh, helping giving the kids the information that will help them make better career decisions so that more of them decide to become welders, toolmakers, precision machinists, and, and fewer of them go on to study liberal arts, wind up with $50,000 in debt, and make $30,000 a year, because that's the way it works out. So, yeah. so the, we, yeah. we've lost, we've tried to give everybody the right to be chaotic and do what they want, and for society, it's been less than efficient. Uh, well, I think that's actually even an understatement. It is less than efficient. <laughs> and uh, I, I've been in the metals industry um, 60 years and uh, in media now only eight years and all in manufacturing. And the things that I didn't learn from the 60 years in producing raw materials and selling them to manufacturing. What I didn't learn then, I learned in the next eight years. I mean, we still have all metals and forge group, but in the next eight years, we've been talking to people in manufacturing, uh, people such as yourself. Uh, no one has as long a bio, but 
nonetheless. Uh, there are some very good, important people that know a lot of stuff that is not out there in the market. And that's why uh, Tim Grady, wherever you are, uh, Tim Grady and I have been doing this for, uh, you know, like I said, eight years. Uh, there are solutions out there, but I, solutions to potential growth, solutions to some of the problems that we have. Uh, but unfortunately, and we don't talk a whole lot of politics on the air. <laughs> so uh, we don't, but you almost can't talk about the economy, manufacturing without introducing the aspect of uh, politics or anti this or anti that, because that's that's where we've been. Well, what, what, what I'd say, I would refer to not so exactly to politics, but to industrial policy. Okay. Almost, almost all the other countries have an industrial policy. They, they want manufacturing to grow because they know that's good jobs and it has so many other jobs it brings along. They know they need it for their defense structure, et cetera, uh, and pays taxes and so on. They, right. uh, they, they want their, their production to be competitive, price competitive, so that they can right. export more and import less, keep their people busy. U.S. has never done that. U.S. has been... I'd say chaotic in that it's allowed uh, the market to determine everything. And from our viewpoint, the, 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 the market has decided that the U.S. is the reserve currency, which dries up the value of the dollar from where it would be if trade were determining the value of the currency. And, and therefore, manufacturing cost in the U.S. is 30 to 40 percent higher than in China and maybe 15 to 20% higher than in most of Europe. And, and, and that's why we have a trillion dollar trade deficit. You know, the vast bulk of the decisions to import are due to price. They don't go there for quality. They don't go there for variety. They don't go for, uh, you know, it's only can get it there. It's primarily because of price. And, the, uh, and so to, to turn that around, uh, you need some order, you need some industrial policy, which, which we recommend and which we've quantified and the administration, neither administration has listened <laughs> to it. And so what we advocate for is, number, first of all, skilled workforce. We need many more and better trained uh, skilled workforce. Uh, we need uh, the dollar down by 20 or 30%. Uh, we need keep the corporate tax rate from going up uh, have a value added tax. You need the skilled workforce and two or three of those others and, we'll, and in 20 years, we'll add 5 million manufacturing jobs. And if we don't do those things, then no matter what they do, no matter what they subsidize, it's not going to work. It's not going to get a lot better. Well, obviously, this is a major problem on so many accounts. And you did uh, um, uh, point out some of the fine points of why we don't have uh, skilled, uh, skilled people. Uh, and I think that's going to be something that uh, uh, we need to further discuss. Welcome back, Tim. Well, thanks. What was her name? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, we're talking about the world, Tim. You know, so jump in anywhere you want. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I've had an interesting question for Harry. And I'm glad we're doing this show with him. We've had some discussions around this topic 
of reshoring and whether or not it's really happening and is it a zero-sum game? So, Harry, let me ask you, is reshoring a zero-sum game or is there some meat on this bone? I'd say for the world, it's pretty much a zero-sum game in that if the, if the product's going to be made and sold here, either we're going to make it or somebody else is going to make it. And, and, and so, so that in that sense, it's zero sum, but for the United States, it's unambiguously positive. You know, it's, it's, it's very positive um, in that we, uh, over the last 10 years before COVID, we had increased U.S. manufacturing by something like three quarters of a million jobs. And, and the trend prior to that time period would have suggested that right now we'd have four or five million jobs less than we do today. And the that difference between the actual and the projected is that we aren't offshoring rapidly like we were 15, 20 years ago, and we're reshoring much more rapidly and doing foreign direct investment much more rapidly than we were. So, so for, for the U.S., it's clearly we went through years of negative results and now we're starting to go through year, years of positive results correct me if i'm correct me if i'm wrong about the fact that manufacturing uh, employment at one time was um, 40 million people uh, that goes back i don't know six seven decades uh, and now we're at uh, 12-ish that we're about 12 now I, I think honestly that the peak was more like 22 or 25 million i i um, that's as far as far back as i normally look it's about 22 25 and if you go back 60 years or so the population wasn't big enough and the farmers were too prevalent <laughs> so I, I don't think it was 40 i think 25 maybe okay. is a peak so we then poison their land so they can't be farmers anymore. <laughs> they go to work on a uh, shop floor. Yeah. It's, um, that's about the way it's gone uh, uh, with regards to agriculture also. Unless you're one of the biggies, the giants, uh, you can't exist. Yeah, a, a lot of people, a lot of economists, a lot of learned people say that the developed countries should just suck it in and deal with the fact that manufacturing is going to decline as you get richer you don't do manufacturing you send it to china india mexico somewhere else give them a chance to come up and and there's there's some logic to it but there's there's also some some examples where it's not true for example in germany the wages are as high as ours or even higher and manufacturing represents about 20% or 22% of their employment, whereas here at only about 9%. And as a result, Germany has a trade surplus of 5% of GDP. And we have a trade deficit of 3%. So there's no question that a, a, a high wage developed country can have twice as much manufacturing proportionally as we do, but we've, we've chosen not to, not to put the not to move the pieces around to make that happen. And, that, and so, so on the one hand, we help companies decide to reshore now to do the best they can with the conditions. On the other hand, we advocate for, to the government to get them to have that industrial policy so that we can look more like Germany in an industrial sense. Harry, this is uh, such an in-depth uh, discussion on 
what's going on in the world right now, uh, and also to the U.S. I think that this uh, really warrants us having a further discussion about perhaps how how all this should be handled and fixed. Uh, we've talked about the problems. We all recognize the problems, or some of us do. And how can we fix it? What's what's the major problem? What's the uh, uh, the niche in the circle that if you change that, everything else changes. So, uh, Tim, why don't we do a wrap up and we're going to do a part two to this uh, episode and uh, we'll be back. Tim? Well, Harry, I want to thank you again for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we look forward to that second discussion because, as Lou says, this is a bigger picture than we can do in our usual 25 to 30 minutes. So thanks for joining us. It's been great, Tim and Lou. Good to be here. Look forward to number two. We'll be back at you. <laughs> we appreciate everyone who is listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio or watching us on our YouTube channel. You can also find us at jacketmediaco.com with links to our shows. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.